Okay, we're going to be reading two sections in Matthew chapter 5. So first, Matthew chapter 5, 17 to 26, and then Matthew chapter 5, 43 to 48. So from verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth. Until heaven, heaven and earth disappear... Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You will have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So jumping to uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbour, and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you not even the tax are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than, the other, than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Thanks, Leon. Let's pray as we think about Matthew chapter 5. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. We pray that as we look at this part of it, we pray that you would grow our desire to serve you. Lord, please keep changing our understanding as we seek to live for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. I reckon kids are very good at minimising our instructions to them. So think, for example, 
uh, you tell your, I don't know, your eight-year-old to go and brush their teeth and get ready for bed. And they head out of the room. And they come back a little while later and they go, are my teeth clean? And say, oh, well done, yes, they're very clean. Oh, well, I don't need to brush them then. I'm ready for bed. That's minimum compliance, isn't it? Minimising what's expected of them, minimising their obedience. You don't ever lose that, I don't think, that instinct to be able to do it. Even as adults, we do it. I mean, think about when you're filling your tax return, for example. Minimising what you give to the government, who does so much for us. Only giving what you must. We're exceptionally good at being minimalists. Um, we're practised at what it means to have minimum compliance. Then on the other extreme, think about maximum devotion. What does that look like? Maximum devotion. I reckon there's things which you have this obsession about that you become passionate about and you don't really care what the minimum requirement is. You just go all the way. And so people see that in you. They can tell that you are devoted to that hobby or to that thing. I mean, think about a newly married couple or a, a couple who are just about to get married or maybe someone who's made a ring just about to propose to someone. Think about the male in that scenario and how devoted they are. They'll do anything for her anything at all. Or think about new parents with a little, little child and what they'll do, give for that child and do for that child. That's the, the idea of a maximum devotion. It's very different to minimum compliance, isn't it? Minimum compliance, you do the bare minimum, only what you have to. Maximum devotion, well, it's all on, it's full on. That's the contrast I think you need to have in mind as you look at Matthew Chapter 5, verse 17 through to verse 48. As followers of Jesus, we need to stand out as people who maximise our obedience to Jesus. We're devoted to Jesus and people see it in us. They see the way that we live and they can't help but notice that we're living for Jesus. And as they do that, they're drawn to God the Father. You saw that in last week's passage. We looked at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount last week. Remember in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, Jesus teaches his disciples on the side of a mountain, in the hearing of other people, the Sermon on the Mount. And at the other end of this sermon, at the end of chapter 7, it's all bookended. This is all Jesus' is teaching to his disciples. And last week, the kind of the, the take-home was there in 5 verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Um, John has just been put in prison. Jesus has come out preaching, when you look back in chapter 4 verse 17, preaching repentance for the kingdom of heaven is near. Matthew showed us in chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, he showed us Simon, Andrew, James and John giving up everything to follow Jesus, repenting and following Jesus with everything. And then Jesus brings his disciples together and teaches them, if you are going to follow me, this is what it's going to be like. 5 verse 16, you're going to be like a shining light, shining into the world around, distinct, different standing out, exceptional people. Um, you see all that at the start of chapter 5. Jesus says the disciples are to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world, a city on a hill, not hidden. As followers of Jesus, um, Jesus, we stand out for, for our response to Jesus, but at the same time, we expect that we won't be loved by the world, we'll be persecuted by the world. And at the same time, some will see through us See God the Father and give glory and praise to him. 
What Jesus says to the disciples back there on the mountainside, it echoes through to us today. This is describing what it means to be a follower of Jesus today as well. And the challenge for us is to give up everything, to repent, to give up everything and follow Jesus, to be devoted to him with everything. So last week was the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. Um, this week, we're getting deeper into it. And Jesus is saying much the same thing. He's just expanding on it, putting the magnifying glass over it. And when you look at the end of the passage, this is where he's heading. This is how different you ought to be. 5 verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. There's no minimum compliance in that. Being perfect, it's a pretty high target to aim at. And as you think about that, yeah, you're starting to, in your mind, you're starting to go, yeah, but, aren't you? It doesn't mean this or it doesn't mean that. It's a high goal. It's a big ask. But it's what God has always wanted. God hasn't changed. He hasn't changed his mind. When you look through the Old Testament, you'll see it as well. So when we looked in Leviticus, remember what we saw in Leviticus? Be holy because I am holy. God hasn't changed. He wants perfection. He wants holiness. He has high standards. He expects us, his people, to be perfect, just like our Father in heaven is perfect. And as you toy with your qualifications and you say, well, actually, we're sinners, and so we're dependent on Jesus' death in our place, we just shared communion, that reminds us of that. I mean, that's all true. But as you say that, take care that you don't become a minimalist. Take care that you're not trying to get out of obedience. As you list your exceptions and your qualifications and as you start making excuses, are you lowering the bar? The fact is, Jesus wants, wants us to, forgive, to give up everything. To give up everything and follow him. And when we give up everything and follow him, he wants us to aim at perfection. Being perfect for God. So when you come up against verses like this in the Bible that are a little bit challenging because they just seem so black and white... Rather than you know, water them down and qualify them away, have a look at it in context and see what Jesus is saying and let the context give you the weight of understanding. So 5 verse 48 says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. But when you look back across the passage, it has this kind of structure. That's actually the summary of what he's saying in 5.17 to 48. As you look back up through it, 5 verse 16 gives you the theme. We're meant to be standout Christians. That's what Jesus is calling for in his disciples. Verses 17 to 20 give you the argument, and his argument is go for maximum obedience, not minimum compliance. 5 verse 21 to 47 gives you some concrete examples to see how this works. The law says it was this, but for you it's this. And 5 verse 48 gives you the summary. What I'm saying is be perfect because your heavenly Father is perfect. So you look at that and you can tell where the work is, can't you? If you can understand verses 17 to 20, it all falls out, all done. So zoom in on verses 17 to 20. Um, The argument in verses 17 to 20 is that Jesus wants maximum obedience or maximum maximum devotion, not minimum compliance. As Christians, we're to stand out because of our devotion to Jesus, because of the lengths we go to to do what God wants us to do. So last week in the Beatitudes, the blessing statements, we saw that one of the qualities 
of people who possess the kingdom of heaven is there in verse 6, 5, verse 6, we hunger and we thirst for righteousness. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's part of who we are. Or in verse 10, um, we'll be persecuted for righteousness. And in verses 17 to 20, Jesus is showing you what that righteousness is, what it looks like. The righteousness which we are to hunger and thirst for is different to the righteousness the disciples thought they knew. It's different to the righteousness the world thinks of. Um, You see how stark the difference is when you look at verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. He is literally saying, unless you're more righteous than the Pharisees, you're not in the kingdom of heaven. You don't have a place in the kingdom of heaven. Um, most of us have read ahead, and we know that the Pharisees are the bad guys. We know that the Pharisees are minimalists, legalistic minimalists. They, they maximise the rules, but they minimise what we do to please God. We know that, but put yourself in the shoes of Simon, Peter, Andrew, James and John. Um, put yourself in, in the, 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 the feet of the crowd listening in on this, and they think of the Pharisees as the good guys, the people who are near perfect. They're the law keepers. They follow the letter of the law. If you think about righteousness in terms of law-keeping, keeping the rules, keeping the law, then the Pharisees, yes, they were righteous. But you see, in verse 20, Jesus is saying that the righteousness we strive and hunger for is something different to what the Pharisees were striving for. It's not law-keeping. Our righteousness is not defined by rule-keeping. Does that mean you throw away the rules? Because that's a way that Christians tend to think. Um, that takes us back to verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus doesn't abolish the law. He doesn't take away all those rules. Can we as followers of Jesus take the Old Testament out of our Bible? Well, no, that's not what we're to do. If you look at verse 18, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, it's not the dots and the crosses on the T's, none of that will disappear from the law. I don't think you could be any more precise than that. Nothing will be ignored. And back in verse 17, I've not come to abolish the law or the prophets, Instead of taking anything away, Jesus fulfills it. He completes it. He finishes it, fulfills it. Our righteousness cannot be defined or limited to rule-keeping, but our righteousness doesn't do away with the rules either. It's quite common in Christian circles for people to think that the Old Testament was God's plan A. He set all the rules, and we keep, the people kept failing at those rules, and so he comes out with plan B where you don't have to keep rules but that's not the way the Bible works. What Jesus is saying is God is still working to plan A. There was never a plan B. Not a dot or a cross in plan A has changed. Um, There's a few other things to be aware of in these verses. First, don't read verses 17, 18 and 19 as being limited to the Ten Commandments, when you see the word law. 
in verse 17, he says the law and the prophets. He's talking about the whole Old Testament. Um, the law he's referring to would be the Pentateuch, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The prophets is the bulk of the, the rest of the Old Testament. Even for them, even Isaiah and Jeremiah and 1 and 2 Samuel and Joshua and Judges, they all get rolled in as prophets. So that's the first thing. Jesus is referring to more than just the rules you think of in the Ten Commandments. Second thing to be aware of, up till now, Matthew has been making it very clear that Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament. And that theme continues here in verse 17. Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets, specifically. So he doesn't take the Old Testament and throw it away. He doesn't make all those laws and rules redundant. No, he's the purpose of the Old Testament. He's the meaning of the Old Testament. He's what all these rules and laws were pointing to. He's the completion of it. He's the fulfillment of it. So in these verses, we're talking about more than the Ten Commandments. Jesus is saying he hasn't come to do away with the Old Testament. He's come to fulfill it. And thirdly, drawing a distinction between God's moral law and God's ceremonial law doesn't help you in this passage at all. It's an irrelevance. In other words, to say the Ten Commandments still apply, but the laws in Leviticus, they don't apply, that doesn't help you here. This passage won't support that. Verse 18, not a dot, not a stroke of the pen is done away with. Jesus doesn't do away with any of it. He fulfills it. I'm laboring the point of going round and round. Um, if you want to build a distinction between the moral law and the ceremonial law, you don't find it here. What am I saying? As a, as a Christian, as someone who lives for Jesus, the Old Testament matters. It matters hugely because it points you to Jesus. All the way through the Old Testament, you're expecting Jesus. You're understanding what sin is. You're seeing what Jesus will do when he comes. We need all the Old Testament to see Jesus clearly. And as you look at verses 17 to 19, Jesus is saying, as followers of Jesus, we recognize the fulfillment of the Old Testament in Jesus the fulfilment of the law, the fulfilment of the prophets, everything they've been looking forward to. We don't take out bits and pieces of the ceremonial law or anything because as you do that, you deform and misshape the picture of Jesus that the Bible gives us. Every one of the Ten Commandments matters. But we don't read the Old Testament like the Pharisees were. We read the Old Testament as followers of Jesus. Every word of the prophets impacts on us because of Jesus. If we downplay any part of the Old Testament, then we distort our view of Jesus, who fulfills every part of the Old Testament. Um, I, think what, I think that's what's being said in verse 19. The law and the prophets, they point forward to Jesus. So they're properly obeyed. The Old Testament law and the prophets are properly obeyed by conforming to Jesus, by living for him. Um, because verse 20, we don't want to be legalistic minimalist. We want to maximise our obedience to King Jesus. Jesus is saying the righteousness we hunger for is completely different to the law-keeping the Pharisees have come up with. As we follow Jesus, we stand out as light in dark places because we're willing to be obedient to God in everything. It's a bit like Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33, where it says, I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I'll be their God. They will be my people. God has this desire to live in us, to make us live for him. This way that we don't need to be given rules to want to please God. We just want to please God with everything. It's in us. 
In verses 21 to 47, um, Jesus gives concrete examples of what a Christian, what our obedience will look like compared to the Pharisees. So if you look at verse 21, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So if you're going for minimal compliance, you go, great, I haven't murdered anybody. Then you read verse 22. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. You see how Jesus treats the law? Don't even be angry. Don't be satisfied with not having murdered someone. Instead, don't even be angry. Remember what we're aiming at? Verse 48, perfection. It's not the letter of the law. Um, and on Jesus goes, he talks about don't murder. He says, don't even get angry. Verse 22, don't even speak harshly of your brother. Verses 23 and 24, if there's a problem between you and your brother, take action to restore it quick. So verse 23, therefore, if you're, offered, if you're offering your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. And then come and offer your gift. And it's not just your brother or your sister that you should be concerned with. If you look down deeper into the passage, by the time you get to verse 25, it's also your enemy. Settle matters quickly with them too. And on Jesus goes talking about adultery and divorce, the way we make promises, retaliation, having love for your enemies. Go back to look what he says about adultery. So in verse 27, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In other words, you know it's wrong to commit adultery. So as a Christian, don't even go there in your mind. Don't even entertain the thought. And I reckon this one deserves a little bit more attention. So this does not mean um, that when you become a Christian, um, you kind of get changed, your body gets changed so it doesn't function normally. When you become a Christian, it's not that you can no longer be um, caused to have those thoughts just by looking for a male. And so for men, that means take care what you let your eyes see because you're built that way. That's the way we work. Um, ladies, I'm told these things work a little bit different for you. Um, more, it's more about feelings and feeling like you communicate and you're cared for. So if you find yourself deep in conversation with a man who actually understands you, and there happens to be some nice music playing and the lights dimmed, you can expect attraction to build if you're wired properly, if your body's working normally, if things are working the way they should. So take care how you feed those things. We're not being told as Christians that we'll no longer be sexually responsive. We're being told, what we're being told is to keep all that in the context of marriage. Don't commit adultery. Don't entertain those things outside the context of marriage. Um, to flirt with anyone outside the context of marriage, well, it amounts to what this is talking about, doesn't it? In fact, I think flirting may be exactly what the passage is talking about. So a more literal translation of verse 28 says, but I tell you that anyone who, look, who looks at a woman so that she lusts has committed adultery with her in his heart. You can see how this works, can't you? You've got minimum compliance, don't commit adultery. You've got Christian obedience, don't even entertain those thoughts. Don't feed those thoughts. Watch what you see. Watch what you do. Watch who you speak with. Um, 
So it's been said, Jesus says, don't commit adultery. And then he says, don't even go there with your eyes. In fact, rather than run that risk, if you look at verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. That's kind of, um, uh, it's not exaggeration, but it's that sort of direction. It's extreme language to make the point. Our obedience is to be maximum. Our devotion is to be maximum. It's not this minimum compliance idea. Um, I remember when I was at uni, a friend in our course came in with a big bandage on his arm. I've probably told you this before. And I said, what happened? He said, oh, my arm was causing me to sin, so I just gave it a warning. But that's kind of, like, this is the territory that we're in. Don't settle for second best in the slightest. Um, Our devotion is to be maximised. Let me show you one more bit. Go down to verse 43. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of our Father in heaven. Or down in verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers... What are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. And then we come to our verse, be perfect, therefore, as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Can you see how it all fits together? Can you see what Jesus is saying? We're to stand out, 5 verse 16, as different, uniquely different as followers of Jesus in a way that, yeah, it'll, it'll cause us to be persecuted, but it will lead others to glorify God. And then 5 verse 48, we're to be so different, we're to be perfect because our Heavenly Father is perfect. We're to desire that kind of righteousness. And as you look through verses 17 to 20, it unpacks, it shows you, it, it for you. It, our righteousness is not about rule-keeping. It's about living to please God. And it's something that you can only do as a follower of Jesus. Jesus who has fulfilled the law, who's dealt with sin and death, and made it possible for us to live for him. And as we think about a passage like this that does push us to be obedient, yes, you do need the big qualification that Jesus' death in our place is the way that we are made right with God. His righteousness is made ours. Um, Jesus is saying, as forgiven sinners, don't be content to keep living a sinful life. Aim for perfection as God is at work in you. Don't do anything to to water that down. Um, When you become a follower of Jesus, remember, you give up everything. And Jesus teaches us to be fishers of men, to be distinctly different. In the area of obedience to God, obedience to Jesus, we're not minimalists. We're devoted to Jesus in everything, wanting to please him. So let's pray. And as you think about these things, yeah, I'm sure there'll be other, other thoughts you have. Keep talking together in a way that um, pushes us back to the Bible and pushes us to keep trusting in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are sorry for the many ways that we ignore you. Lord, we're sorry that we keep having to pray prayers like this, repenting and turning back to you. But, Father, we know that we do have sinful hearts. Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus to live the perfect life, to fulfill the law, the perfectly righteous man who died in our place. Lord, thank you that you see us through him. Thank you that his righteousness is given to us. Lord, please help us as your followers to keep living to please you in everything. Please help us not to lower the bar. Lord, please keep forgiving us and changing us to live for you. Please soften our hearts. Please make our consciences tender. 
Please reassure us of your forgiveness. Please transform and renew our minds, change our desires and our motivations. And Lord, we pray that as a church that you would help us to help each other to keep living for you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.